So I may not be able to do anything about all those symptoms that you may or may not be uh, enduring right now if you are married. But what I can do in this series is I can prescribe to you a better way to view marriage. I can prescribe to you a better way to view life if you're single. I can prescribe ultimately God's way. And we believe around here that God's way of doing things is the best way of doing things, whether it's living your life, the decisions you make, and even when it comes to marriage. You know, one of the things that I know about us here, uh, really, if you just observe people, you observe married people, that married people are so different. Like you look at some married people and they're like, they're so touchy-feely and they got their hands all over one another and, and it's like that and you're like, seriously, that's gross. Get a room, do whatever, go home, do, do something. It's like you have all of that and then you have other married couples and it seems like they're not even close at all. And, and such the picture of marriage is so different. It's so diverse depending upon who you're married to and really your upbringing. So we come into marriage with a wide gamut of understanding or misunderstanding. But here's what I do know about you. Maybe you're single and you're thinking to yourself, well, what is it? I mean, I'm single, like what is there for me? I mean, the series is called Marriage and I don't have that on my radar. So what does that mean for me? Well, let me just say this to you. If you're part of the family of God, you have a responsibility as a single person to help married people to help them stay married, to help them to to guard their marriage. And as married people, we have a responsibility to help single people pursue Jesus. So as a part of the family of God, before we even start like single folks, I realize realize how difficult this is and I get pushback every time I do a marriage series, every single one. It's like, don't forget about the single people. But the reality is this, we have to get beyond ourselves and our presupposed ideas and, oh, it's about marriage. If you're part of the family of God, you have to lean into this because as a single person, you owe it to everybody else to give your life into the family of God to help married people pursue Jesus well. And, and us as married people, we, we owe it to you single people to help you pursue Jesus well and to cheer you on. I know some other things about single folks. First one, I know for sure, some of you are never gonna get married. And that's okay. This isn't saying that you need to get married. We're gonna see actually a little bit later in this talk what the Apostle Paul said about singleness and marriage. Some of you are not gonna get married and that's absolutely okay. But I know that some of you most likely will get married. That's the second thing I know. Some of you, most of you will be married. And the third thing that I know is this, that you need wisdom on who to marry and how to stay married. Because it's not necessarily easy. Life is difficult. Life will throw you twists and turns. And what are you gonna do when you get something that you didn't expect? Here's what I know about some married folks. Some of you, your marriage right now, if you were to define it, is it's like you're ready to just roll into the ER and you have no idea what's going on, and you've tried, and, and you are, you're to your wits end, and you're ready to just wheel me in, doctor, do something, tell me something, help me, pastor, tell me something, friend, tell me something. Um, maybe even some of you are even look, ready to look into the Bible and see what the Bible says about your marriage because you've done it on your terms for so long, and you're in the ER phase. Some of you are in the OR phase. You're like, you are filleted wide open. 
and you're like, I don't even know what happened. I know there's something in here that's not supposed to be in here. And you need to be in the OR phase and just open me up, open up our marriage, take out the parts that are not like you, Jesus, and put in some good parts that are like you, Jesus, and heal me up and amen and send me on my way. Some of us are there. Some of us, and I, I tend to think that there's most likely more of us in the third and fourth example, but the, the third example is this. Some of your marriages, if you're to define it, you're in the ICU. Maybe you've become so numb from years of abusing your relationship. I'm not talking about physical abuse. I'm just saying neglect and abuse of your relationship. Maybe you've gone through just, you, you're, you've gone through phases to where you, you saw a glimmer of the way it could be and then you now have gone into maybe even believing that you're never gonna be able to change, that, that you're just supposed to be settled right where you are and they're never gonna change and you're never gonna be changed so you may as well just suffer and some of you are in the ICU phase and you're, you've been in there maybe a long time. And, and you're pleading for help. And I want you to know that you're gonna get some help in this series. Now, if you don't fit categorically in those first three, I know you fit in the fourth one. Some of you are just ready for an office visit. Some of you are just ready for a marital checkup. And that's what we're gonna get in this whole series. So we're gonna spend five weeks and in the midst of this, of this five weeks, if you don't fit categorically in the first three and you're, you say, ah, I, I may be leaning into, I may need the office visit, you're gonna get that. And what we're gonna start with is we're gonna see is how God, pres God prescribes marriage. What is it that God says when he brings two people together? What does he expect of them? What does he expect of us as individuals? What is that? What is the expectation for our relationship? What does it mean? How long does it last? What are the implications of that decision that you make on your wedding day? So ultimately, that's what the, the series is about. But this particular talk, I'm leaning in heavily into this. I'm leaning into what marriage looks like beyond the wedding day. Because, I mean, for your wedding day, you can go in and you can buy the perfect flowers and you can rent the, the perfect tux and your dress, and you can say yes to the dress, and you can spend four grand on a dress. Why in the world? Never mind, I'm not going there. But that's just my opinion. But you can say yes to the dress, and you can do all of that stuff, and you can put all of the emphasis into that wedding day. But this series, what I'm leaning into, I'm leaning heavy into this. What happens when the flowers fade? What, what happens when the family goes home? What happens when your level of happiness is challenged? What happens then? What happens when, when you roll over and you realize that they have morning breath? What do you do then? You see, this is what this whole series, in particular, this, this message, that's what I'm leaning heavy into. What does it mean for that? Well beyond the wedding day. The passage of scripture that we're gonna be in this morning that we're going to start in actually is in Proverbs, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. And then at some point, I'm going to springboard into Matthew 7. And then another point, I'm going to springboard into Matthew 19. And then again, because that's not enough, I'm going to springboard into 1 Corinthians 7. We'll go there slowly. Don't get nervous. Um, I know how it is when you're in the middle of, and you know you have to find different things in the Bible and you feel the pressure in that moment. You're like, oh my goodness, I have to do that. And you have to get there before he starts reading. Because if the reading starts happening while you're still flipping, you just close it and you're like, never mind, I'll just listen. 
So we're gonna, we're gonna take great care into getting there. Proverbs is a, is a very interesting book of the Bible because even if you're not a follower of Jesus, the Proverbs are, are so, there's so many of the sayings within the Proverbs are like, duh, I already knew that. Or of course, um, many times in the Proverbs, there's not really mysteries. It's just like, of course I would know that. And some of that is what we're gonna see here, but we're really gonna pick apart two particular words. One word that we've, we really never use in our English language, and the second one we do, but we're gonna take apart these two different words and look specifically into two verses. But let's read all of Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. He's now, he's getting ready to explain what the point of all the Proverbs are. There's 31, and he's about to say, here's the point of all the Proverbs. It's for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise, despise wisdom and discipline. So the Proverbs, the second word in, in the translation of the Bible that I'm reading from, it's the Hebrew word, mashal. And what it means is comparison. So throughout all of the Proverbs, you see this comparison. There's God's way that's the best way. And then there's another way. And it's less than God's best. And, and oftentimes it shows you consequences of choices. I want to give you three particular verses that convey the same meaning. I could give you many more. But Proverbs eleven twenty two says this, the desire of the righteous ends only in good, but there's a transition word, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. So there's the comparison. There's a contrast, two contrasting ideas. Proverbs eleven six says this, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. So the righteousness, those who are pursuing Christ, those who have been made right by Christ, those who are clothed in the righteousness that is Christ that we sung about just a couple moments ago, that person is upright and God delivers them. But the contrast is this, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Proverbs 12, 4 speaks specifically of marriage, and it says this, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Quite the contrast, isn't it? So now we're gonna lean heavily into verse four. In verse four, it says, for giving prudence to the simple. So again, here's two contrasting ideas. There's the prudent way, which is the wise way. And then there's the simple way, which would be the unwise way. So the prudent way, as you would guess, is the best way. And then the simple way is not. But we all start out in the simple way. We all do. Because the simple way is the, is the small-minded way. The, small, the simple way is the naive way of thinking. The simple-minded, think about right now. Those who are simple-minded in their marriage, they think about right now. Am I getting my needs met right now? It's about me right now in this moment. 
I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about when we have kids. I'm not thinking about our 25th anniversary. I'm not thinking if, if praise God, we hit the 50 mark. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about right now. Is she going to perform for me the things that I want her to do? That's a simple-minded married man. And a simple-minded married woman says the same thing. Is he going to do for me the things that I want? Is he going to provide for me the things that I want? That's a simple-minded person because they think about right now. They can't see beyond the circumstances that are in front of them. They can't think beyond the decisions that they're making now. This is the contrast. This is a simple-minded person. Simple-minded person thrives in their own flesh. I want to break this down with three different phrases. There's three things that particularly war against your uh, about against human flourishing that, that goes against you pursuing Jesus. And there are at least three things specifically that war against your marriage. It's Satan himself. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy in your flesh and a world system. And I'm gonna break down the latter of those two things. There's three things that plague our flesh. There are three things that have to die in us so we can get beyond simple-mindedness. The three things summarized is this is the lust of the flesh. And it's rooted in this idea of I have to get what I want. So I'll put it in terms that you would use to get what you want. This is the flesh. It's a matter of getting what you want. It's a matter of exchanging goods and services within a marriage. The simple-minded married person says, if I get what I want, I'll give you what you want. But if you don't, if you don't hold up to your end of the bargain, I'm out. It's rooted in your flesh. It's rooted in self. Rooted in, I'm, I'm just in it to get what I want. And that's all. Don't expect too much of me. This is, this is like a contract. The simple-minded person sees marriage as a contract. They're like, you know what? I'm just in it to get what I need, not for you, because it's rooted in me. Now, if you give me what I need, I may, get, I may exchange that and give you some goods and services that you need. But if you don't give me what I need, I'm out. Second thing is this. It leads to trying to impress people still rooted in yourself. The simple-minded person is, is not trying to lean heavy into God at all. The simple-minded person is the naive person. They can't see beyond their current circumstances. It's rooted in the idea of the first thing we just talked about, of getting what you want, and then secondarily to impressing people. All of these are vicious traps. All of these are vicious traps. This is what it looks like in an unhealthy marriage. This is what it looks like. Just summarizing very generally. This is what it looks like. It looks like when you go home that you're in two different ends of the house and you live virtually two different lives and you're taking care of that one person is taking care of the kids and you've just agreed to do these things and you live in the same house and you're cohabitating and that's just, you're just hanging out living life and yet when you get in public, you're arm in arm and can't keep your hands off one another. You have to ask yourself the question, why are you arm in arm in public and yet you live two different lives when you're in private? Because you're trying to impress the people that are around you. I wonder if that's some of your relationships. 
where it's, it's not a matter of you pursuing Jesus and you've, maybe you've been living the simple-minded life and now you've been, you have your whole marriage and your actual marriage is a facade for the real you. And you have the perfect job and the perfect car and the perfect social media feeds and the perfect life and the great portfolio and you've got the job and you've got the degree and you're pursuing this degree and you've got freedom and you've got money and you've got all the boutique, everything that you want and everything's all manicured in all of your life and all of that. I wonder if that's just a facade. And I wonder if, if that facade wouldn't fall away if you didn't get the goods and services that you're living under right now. And I wonder if the driving, motivating factor within you isn't rooted in trying to impress other people instead of honoring God. The last one here is this. I'll just do it myself. Just do it yourself. I'm just going to do it myself. I'm not going to do it. She's not going to do it for me. She's not doing it. I'm just going to take care of it myself. This is rooted in the pride of life, by the way. I'm just going to take care of it myself. I don't need you. And, you know, I'll just take care of the kids. And then there's this martyr syndrome that happens, says, well, if I don't do it, finish it. If I don't do it, then nobody else is. That's the martyr syndrome. If you've ever said it, that's what that is. Well, poor, poor, pitiful me. I've got to do it myself. Nobody else is going to do it. She's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. I just have to take care of it myself. And that's rooted in pride. That's plaguing you right now. It's the the lust of the flesh and it's the lust of the eyes and it's the pride of life that is seeking to devour and destroy your life and your marriage. So I want to just say this as as a caveat because I see this from time to time. I've never had this opportunity to say this. If you have a blended family, this could be the very thing that gives your 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 new marriage a lot of difficulty because you have to strive extra hard. If you choose to get married after being divorced or you choose to get married after you've had kids, this becomes a great difficulty with you because you are always going to have this nagging tendency to just do it yourself because the, the, the storyline being told within your head is I can't trust anyone. I can't trust anyone. They can't be trusted. He can't be trusted. She can't be trusted. It's rooted in not that person, but the past. It, it is so obvious from my perspective, and hopefully I just made it clear from yours if that is your situation. But it's rooted in the pride of life that just do it yourself because I can only trust myself. We also see that the world itself, so Satan, our flesh in the world is warring against your life and against marriage today. And we live in such a throwaway culture, don't we? I mean, everything is a throwaway culture. I mean, you, you get one awesome smoking hot cell phone and then one year later or one update later it's a boat anchor it's worthless is it not it's like you get your phone it's like awesome and you think you're like hot to trot it's like yeah I got this new phone and as soon as they put that new update in there your phone goes and slows all the way down and that's just the culture that we live in new phones come out every year and the other one becomes obsolete as soon as the new one comes out I mean, if you go to the grocery stores, you see that there's just so much of our culture is just a throwaway. It's just a disposable thing. And simple-minded people see marriage the same way. Simple-minded 
people see marriage as it's okay. As long, if, if they're not giving me what I want, I can just throw it away and I can throw them away. That's a simple-minded person. Also, simple-minded person looks for loopholes to allow for an unbiblical divorce. Look at that again. You don't want to miss that. The simple-minded person looks for loopholes to allow for an unbiblical divorce. And if you want to look for an unbiblical reason to divorce, I can give you a million, maybe more. See, the simple-minded person looks for loopholes, says, no, 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 but what about this? Well, they're not doing this, and she spends too much, and he doesn't engage emotionally, and she's way too emotional. They're looking for loopholes. We've just never really connected. I don't even know if God put us together in the first place. And what we're doing is we're conjuring up things in our minds to create loopholes to get us out of the commitment that we made before God and before that person. That's the simple-minded person. Looking for a loophole to allow for an unbiblical Divorce, and ultimately, the simple-minded person sees that things are disconnected. They can't see beyond their current circumstances. They can't see beyond their current circumstances. They can't understand how, if they make this decision, that it's going to affect their future. They can't see even beyond their current circumstances, and they, they are blind to everything else that's going on except that. Recently, I was... A grocery store, and, and it's really cool when I go to grocery stores or Walmart. I, I love to people watch. I don't know, it may make me weird. Um, I don't people watch here, just so that would be really weird, but I do there and kind of sit around and, and all that, and, and I remember, I don't remember particular which aisle I was in, but I remember that I was in an aisle and there was this kid just wearing his mama out for candy. And apparently they had been in the candy aisle, but, they, but I was not in the candy aisle. So we were way away from it. And that kid is just wearing his mama out. Mama, I want some candy. Mama, I want some candy. Mama, I want some candy. Because there had been something that had been triggered probably when he was in the candy aisle. There was something that was triggered that he couldn't get beyond it. The simple-minded person lives in the moment and they can't see beyond it. That's a simple-minded person. They're caught in, in just their own little world and they're unable to get outside of it. Let me give you some good news. The prudent person. See, the prudent person, this is the person that I want to be. The prudent person takes the long view of life. The prudent person takes the long view of life. They realize that the decisions they make today will affect tomorrow. The prudent person sees that, wow, if I make this decision, it's going to lead to this and this and this. The prudent person says, no, 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 I need to guard my marriage well because if I don't guard my marriage, if I allow Satan a foothold into my marriage, he will devour my marriage. The, the prudent person says, no, 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 I need to create uh, just guards around our, our marriage. I need to protect my spouse. I need to protect his heart. I need to protect her heart. I need to protect myself. I need to allow accountability in certain situations. I need to make sure that I don't do anything to compromise what I know to be true about God or what I know to be true about my marriage. So the prudent person takes a long view of life and they say that what I do now is going to affect the future. I want to convey it with a picture not proportionate um, to, to the reality of it, but you see the picture has five dots, a dash and the arrow. The first dot, it signifies your birth. The second one 
married folks, it signifies your meeting of your spouse. The third one is signifying of your marriage. The fourth one is the arrival of kids. And the last one is death. But you see, it doesn't stop there. It continues on into eternity. The prudent-minded person doesn't get tripped up in any one of these little dots. The prudent-minded person doesn't just live for their kids. The the prudent-minded person is thinking, okay, one day my kids are going to be out of the house. What's my marriage going to be like then? The prudent-minded person says, you know what? I love my kids, but I need to prioritize my home. It needs to be God, my spouse, my kids, then everybody else. The prudent-minded person knows how to structure things, knows how to order things because they've decided ahead of time they have a long view of life. That they're not just doing things in the moment, they're actually building into eternity. That's the prudent-minded person, not just stuck in the moment because the prudent see that things are connected. They see it. They see the big picture. They see that if I make this obligation, this is what I'm going to have to do. If I make this this agreement, then I'm going to have to fulfill this agreement. If If I put myself in a compromising situation morally, this, the prudent person says, no, no, no. If I put myself in that situation, this is going to take me to the path I do not want to go on. See, the prudent, they see that things are connected. They see that. Maybe even that their marriage is meant to be something more than just their own level of happiness. The prudent see that, that they can't live their life for their kids because one day the kids are going to be gone. And if the foundation of the marriage is built upon the kids, down goes their marriage. The prudent-minded person sees that things are connected. They understand things in, different, in ways that, that simple people can't because simple people just see in the moment, but prudent people have a wide view of life because things are connected. In verse seven, it said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. See, beginning in, in this verse, it means foundation. So it's, it's the foundation. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge. It's the foundation of knowledge about life, about marriage, about singleness. It's the foundation of all things. Like it, it should be. If you're a follower of Jesus, this should be the fear of the Lord. What does God say about my life? What does God say about my marriage? One great question I want you to lean into about this particular passage. And if you're married or single, this absolutely speaks into your life. This is a question that you should be asking if you want to gain the long view of marriage, the prudent view of marriage. And this is the question. What does God want from my life and my marriage? What does God want from my life and my marriage? I believe if we start with this question, we will automatically take the posture of a long view. Understanding that God has something so much more significant about our life than just our current state of happiness. That God's view of marriage even goes beyond a certain amount of years. That God's view of marriage is even there in those moments where you go through financial stress, you go through relational stress. It's even in those moments when you're raising kids and one person, agree, one person thinks we should do this with the kids and this person thinks that they should do 
this with the kids. And yet it's in this moment, if you've taken a posture, what does God want for my life and what does God, done, what does God want for my marriage? You've already taken the prudent, the long view. You're already set with the trajectory toward victory. Also, the latter part of, of this verse, it says fools. And one commentarian said this about, about the word fool. He says, it's being stupid or indifferent to God's character and plan. Being stupid and indifferent to God's character and plan. And what the fool is, the simple-minded person is the fool. The simple-minded person and the fool just says, you know what? I know what God says, but that's not what I want to do. The simple-minded or foolish person, they say, I know that's what the Bible says, but. The simple-minded person says, you know what? I just don't feel like doing that. The simple-minded person also says, I know what God says, but my parents did this. The simple-minded person says, I'm stuck and I just don't, I, I'm not willing to submit to anyone else outside of myself. That's a simple-minded person. That's the fool. Because they know better and it seems like they just don't care. Because God has shown them the path forward and yet they're stuck in the moment and they're saying, you know what? I just, it just doesn't matter to me. They're indifferent to God's character and God's plan. There's going to be a day, if you're married, you already know this. If you've been married more than a week, you know this. There's going to be a day where your marriage is tested, where you're going to get a twist and a turn. You're going to have a disagreement. You're going to have something that blows up your financial world. You're going to have some maybe even disagreements spiritually. You're going to have some things to, to just rock your world. What you and I need is the foundation that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, 24 and through 27. He said this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. You can replace that for prudent man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew against that house, yet it did not fall because they, it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man, or you could insert simple-minded man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus just did all of us a favor. He says, there's gonna be a day where your relationship, your marriage is gonna be tested. And depending upon what you have your marriage founded upon is if it's gonna last or not. All marriages hit storms and they need the foundation of the rock to weather them. All marriages hit storms and they need the foundation of the rock to weather them. Marla and I have been married for 24 years. We don't have the perfect marriage. We have a marriage we have worked on for all 24 years. And if God still has us both on planet earth for another 25, 50 years, whatever the thing may be, we are gonna continually have to work on our marriage. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage because there's no such thing as a perfect person. So it's going, you're going to have storms. You're going to get like what well, we got, a diagnosis that just blows up our reality. And then that becomes a moment in our life, that a, a defining moment in our life. And it's that, it, these types of things that just shake your foundation. And if your foundation is on anything other than Christ, it will crumble. 
It will. We need the foundation of the rock, the truth of God's word, the loving support of God's people, single and married, all coming together, supporting one another, because our foundations will be rocked. And the only way we're gonna survive them is if, if our foundation is on the rock of Jesus Christ, that we could weather the storm well. Matthew 19, Jesus says this about marriage. I would love it if you'd flip there, if you could. Jesus says this about marriage. The Pharisees were trying to trip him up. We're actually going to see that in the passage. So they ask him a question, but when the Pharisees would ask him a question, it wasn't to get the truth, it was to divert from the truth. So what we're going to see is the dialogue back and forth in one incredible bit of truth that Jesus says about marriage and, and how we're actually going to see how he even has the long view of marriage. Matthew 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of, the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So here's, here's the stumbling part of their question. For any and every reason. The simple-minded person looks for any and every reason to look for a loophole to get outside of the commitment they made before God and that person. That's what they're speaking into. Notice what Jesus says in verse four. Haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? They're twisting some teaching that, that was actually talked about in Deuteronomy 24. And in the Jewish culture, a man could literally throw his, throw his wife away for any and every reason. If he just wanted a new wife, he could discard her and discard the kids and walk away from her. Jesus knew this full well. So when they said any and every reason, Jesus knew, he, he knows the hearts and intent of people. So he knows exactly where this question's going. So when they said uh, that Moses would command a, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away, he's thinking, I gotcha. Notice what Jesus says so wisely. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. So he says, this is not the way it was intended. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples now are listening to this and they say to Jesus, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. 
So Jesus understands that it's a difficult truth that he's saying. When the Pharisees are looking for the the loopholes, they're like, okay, so now there's any and every reason we can just discard them, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 only for marital unfaithfulness. So now let me define what that is, biblically speaking. Because oftentimes we even look for loopholes and we look for understandings and say, no, 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 we can divorce because we've had this or they stopped doing this and they said this and they did this to me. Jesus said, this is the only reason why you should divorce. And he uses this, this word, this Greek word, porneia. And it means this, to engage in illicit sex, to commit fornication, sexual immorality, or prostitution. So this is, this is what he's saying. He's like, yeah, not for any and every reason, but this is the only reason. And what I also want to show you about this, because there's misunderstanding, this Greek word, oftentimes people twist this and people who have other agendas, they twist this. But I believe that it's intentionally um, wide in its application when it says sexual immorality, because that means any illicit sexual act outside of marriage. That's what it means. So it's the gotcha of like, oh, Jesus, what about this? No, 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 this. Well, can I, no, 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 what, what does it say? So when they're trying to trip him up, this was Jesus' reply. You may still be con- confused a little, and I understand that. So let's go to the right in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. First Corinthians Corinthians seven, verse one says this. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his husband. Do not deprive each other except for mer- by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. What the Apostle Paul is, he himself, we believe, was single. So he says, if you're single, that is a gift from God. And he's saying, if you're married, that's a gift from God. But he's not through. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, It is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord, he says. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. uh, And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman 
has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. I'll stop there. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, if you're single, that's a wonderful gift. Use that to the glory of God. If you're married, that we need to have the long view of life in marriage to where it doesn't stop with us, but a long view of marriage says, I need to live my marriage to the glory of God. I need to be like the prudent person to see that the decisions that I make today will affect something eternally. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, so if you're in this situation, consider your singleness a gift. If you're in the marriage situation, consider yourself in the midst of a gift. But also as a consequence to this, all of these passages thus far, I've tried to show you that God has a long view of marriage. And ultimately, that when God brings two people together, these two people then are saying that I'm, I'm off the market to everyone else. When Marla and I got married 24 years ago, we made the commitment to one another and, and believing that God put us together and we made a commitment to each other and to God. And when we said yes and we exchanged our vows, what we were saying, not just vows to one another, we were also saying to everyone else in the world that I'm no longer available to you because I am fully committing myself to my wife. That's what marriage is. It's saying by this one act declare, you hear this during wedding ceremonies, by this one act declare. And by that act declaring that I am obligated and I'm gonna love and I'm gonna nurture my wife's soul. And she's gonna do that likewise. And as a consequence to that decision that we made to one another and, and as a binding agreement with God, we're saying that we are no longer available to everyone else. So when I said yes to her, I said no to everyone else. That's God's view of marriage. That's the prudent view of marriage. I wanna give you some summary statements and then we're through. The symbol-minded view of marriage is contractual. It's the, the contract being agreement between two parties arranging an exchange of goods and services. As long as I get what I want, I'll give you what you want. And if my needs change, you have to meet them. Second thing is this, the contractual marriage is built upon the idea that marriage is 50-50. If you think that marriage is built on 50-50, you have been told wrong. It's not. The contractual marriage is built on a myth that marriage is 50-50. The simple-minded see marriage as disconnected from anything else other than their own wants and desires. Here's the better way. The prudent-minded view of marriage is covenantal. That the marriage covenant has a foundation on God, God's word, and a gospel-centered community. This is what a marriage covenant is. This is a binding agreement with God. Exchanging of vows and saying, I do and I will. Meaning forevermore that you will. Second thing. Covenantal marriage is 100-100. It takes 100% of you and it takes 100% of them, giving everything you have to weather the storms of life. Third thing is this. 
The prudent-minded see marriage as connected to God's design for all of humanity to see the gospel at work. We're gonna see this throughout this series. And lastly, the prudent-minded view, the long view of marriage is this. What God has made one cannot be undone by us. What God has made one cannot be undone by us. That's the long view of marriage. It seems like a lifetime ago, but I had the opportunity of serving in the Navy. And unfortunately, um, to serve in the Navy, which means you have to have this rude awakening called boot camp. And uh, boot camp is taking strangers from everywhere and making them your best friend over a matter of moments. And so it's incredibly awkward. But one of the things that, um, that you have to do as part of this experience, Navy uh, boot camp experience, is they make you do a swim qualification. Part of it's kind of neat because you have to jump off this, I believe it's a 40-foot platform, into this big pool. And, after, and that seems kind of neat. You jump in the water. But then after you get in the water, you have to tread water. I thought it was for 10 minutes, but I checked on the internet. And you know everything's true on the internet. Uh, I checked on the internet, and it actually said five minutes. It seemed like an hour and a half. But um, so you jump off the platform. And then once everybody, everybody off of the platform is in the water, and now you can actually start the timer for treading water. And then after you've treaded water for a, a, a long, long time, then you actually have to start swimming in this distance. I think many of us right now, we have maybe even entered into marriage or maybe you're on the platform getting ready to jump into a marriage or maybe you're thinking about entering up to the platform of jumping into marriage. And my hope is that you have, you've seen God's perspective and God's view on marriage. And my hope is that you have been challenged but you've also been encouraged. And I know this to be true. Some of you are on the platform and man, you've jumped off the platform and you've jumped off and you thought it was gonna be exhilarating. It was gonna be awesome. And you jumped off and it was great and exciting and the wedding day. And now you're right in the middle of the pool and you're treading water. And it seems like you've been there a long time. My hope is if that's your story, my hope is that you've been encouraged to, to keep going. Take the long view of marriage, God's view of marriage. And some of you, maybe you're, you're past the, the treading water stage and now you're, you're, you're in the race, so to speak. And now you're, you're, you're almost finished. And I just wanna say, man, if you've most likely weathered some storms and praise God for the witness that you've had for everyone else. As part of this series, not just this series, but part of my life, but I wanna connect to this part of the series is this. No matter where you are in your marriage, and maybe you're swimming and you're like, man, when is this thing ever gonna end? Or maybe you're, you haven't even entered into marriage. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do something that, that I believe I wisely did years ago. I always look for people who are farther along than me. And I, I've leaned heavily into people like Marshall McDuffie, I've leaned heavily into uh, people like Tom Nickerson who recently went to be with Jesus. I've leaned heavily into gentlemen like James Hall. All of them have been married around 60 years or over 60 years. And I would go to each one of them and I have separately. And I would say, how in the world did you guys do it? How did you do it? What can I expect? Like I want, it, I want every bit of wisdom that you have and I'll listen. I just wanna be the student, please be my teacher. Tell me what I don't know. And some of you, you've been swimming for a while 
And maybe you've tried it your way and maybe what you need in this series is just an eye-opening experience to say, maybe I need to look for somebody else to partner with. Somebody else to partner with to show me what it's like in the next phase of your marriage. But I wanna tell you this, there's gonna be a day, there's gonna be the finish line for your marriage. And there's nothing more beautiful in the human experience than watching somebody who has loved their husband or wife well. And you sit there at their bedside and they've been married a long time. They've got a lot of gray hair or they have no hair, but they've got stories. And they're sitting holding their spouse's hand. There's nothing more beautiful than that in the human experience. There's somebody who has labored well with somebody else and they're with them to the very end. This series is to help you and I to get to the very end. So their story is our story, is God's story. So we're prescribing a new way to look at marriage, God's way, because we believe that it's the best way. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are right in all of your ways. Jesus, I pray that you would heal some some brokenness in marriages, starting with today. God, some of the marriages, maybe they're right now and their marriage is the ER phase and they've just been rolled in. God, I I pray that you've, you've given them today just by the, the work of your spirit, opening their mind and their heart, that you've given them today a better way. Lord, maybe for those who, who came in in the OR phase and they, they feel like they're wide open, they've been filleted open by life and consequences and bad decisions. God, I pray that you would show them the prudent way, that you would heal their wounds, show them the prudent way, show them the best way, show them your way. And Father, for those who maybe who, who used to be indifferent about their own marriage in the ICU phase. I pray, God, that you would show them that they don't need to be numb. God, I pray that you would just show them that that numbness and indifference is not what you really want. And Father, for the rest of us, we've just had our office visit. Married and single, we're gonna be challenged as we leave here. Jesus, keep us tethered to you. The commitment we've made to you, gaining the long view of life. Strengthen us to do the work that you put in front of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have a great afternoon.